When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is James Eiselay, CEO of Cognizant. I think the biggest thing that I think causes failure in a lot of companies is just poor sales process. Sales is actually your first problem as CEO that you need to address and get right. And then, you know, if you got that right, then you've got time to get the other bits right. But if you get sales wrong, you, you don't really have much of a chance. People waste a lot of people time pulling leads off of like LinkedIn, putting them through several tools to build a data set that, you know, then is not very highly responsive to outreach so you waste you burn time across the whole front of the whole process whereas if you could just get that list built correctly and efficiently and then actually then engage that list in an effective sales cadence to get a high response rate then it just you know you're saving time across every aspect and you're getting a better outcome on the actual new business that you're generating that's you know pretty much the majority of the battle this is james he's the co-founder and ceo of cognizant one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in the UK. Last year, Cognizant grew from two and a half million to seven million ARR and was voted by LinkedIn as one of the UK's top 25 startups. He's an inspirational and enterprising businessman who approaches work with unrivaled technical and organizational skills, perseverance, precision, and total dedication. Before founding Cognizant, James was employed as an algorithmic trader at Expo Group and as a qualitative, slash technical analyst at EGL Trading. James has a master's in engineering and information systems engineering from Imperial College in London. He is an expert in lead generation, in sales management and alpha discovery using algorithmic technologies, natural language processing and machine learning. What triggered me to invite James to my podcast is their story to accelerate sales by enriching prospect data with critical event data. We explore what is broken in B2B sales and the new ways to solve the problem. We also explore the lessons learned by James starting and scaling his tech startup and what decisions helped him to realize the impact they're creating today. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, why it is important to not only solve a highly valuable problem, but also pay attention to how urgent and critical this is to your ideal customer. Secondly, 
Why? The moment you have success, you need to continuously keep thinking about how you're going to upgrade the system. Nothing is static. And thirdly, how to go about collecting feedback and why it is key to get that from real customers. Those who are completely neutral and honest to tell you what works and what sucks. Welcome, James. Welcome to my podcast and looking forward to have this call with you about your company, Cognizant. So before we start, my audience is always interesting in terms of who I have on the call and, and what drives you day-to-day business. So if you would use three words to describe yourself, what would they be? Oh, well, myself, my background was a software engineer. So I, I suppose that, that would be a good description. An entrepreneur risk take would be, I suppose, words to describe myself. Risk taker, interesting. That's a very important element, of course, of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I used uh, to be a trader. Like my background was trading, so I used to trade professionally. Ah. So before this, you know, originally I was a software engineer, then I went and worked for UBS Investment Bank, and then eventually I became a trader and did algo trading. So, you know, building computer systems that traded the markets. So everything I thought about was about risk. So, you know, and I guess that's kind of a natural evolution from that type of job to actually going into taking more personal risks. But the way I look at risk, yeah, I look at it as, you know, measuring the risk and then taking it. Interesting. And is this also sort of the link, well, from risk and the financial market and, and stock market to your current company, Cognizant? So what is the big idea behind this company and how does this risk taking take a role there? Yeah, so in the trading world, one of the subjects that really fascinated me was reading news. So, you know, there's a lot of technology in trading around reading news feeds and processing events from a news feed automatically. So, you know, you take, you know, you, you read like a news item, like a company you know, like company got funded or, you know, some sort of crisis in the Middle East and you extract that as an event and you can read it. So computer actually can make a decision on that specific event. So there's a lot of technology tagging natural language processing around that. So that was a subject that fascinated me. And then in terms of this company, you know, what I saw, because I had been in sales previously a little bit in my banking career. And then my stepfather was a, a salesperson as well. So I, I was you know, quite interested in sales. So if you take something like LinkedIn, which is like people and company data, if you can then bring in that event dimension in an intelligent way, like we've done yeah. in trading, then you can really build a more powerful solution for sales. And that's where the original idea of Cognizant came from. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, I see your company is in B2B lead generation. And well, the whole thing started around creating a blend of intelligent technology and human ingenuity. I mean, that's typically a theme that I have on the podcast, the augmentation part of, of people. In this case, your focus is on salespeople, right? Yeah, exactly. So in terms of when you, we want to like sell a product or service, you know, typically, you know, I suppose old school solution is people go on to LinkedIn, build an audience from that, and then outreach, you know, based on job title, and maybe yeah. company size and things like that. But when you engage, A, that you're building a very big audience from that type of simple two-dimensional search. And when we add in event data and you say, okay, a company just got funded or the company's hiring at SDRs, then you build an audience of a company that's more likely to engage and buy yeah. your products and services because they're growing. So, so that was kind of a core problem that we wanted to solve was how to build that better audience um, that, that would help you know, basically get higher response rates on the outreach. Yeah, that's another thing that I saw on your website. One of the quotes or one of the, the statistics I saw is that, well, on the marketing side, we spend 60% of our resources on creating leads. And then only 1% gets conversion. And I think that's, that's what you highlighted in your example here. Yeah, so just, we just want to 
And what we, we are doing is helping companies build more efficient sales processes so that uh, more efficient, specifically more efficient prospecting processes so that they can get business, they can grow business at a faster rate. They can grow new business at a faster rate. Okay, so what is the opportunity if we get this right then? I mean, I think this is also about getting a different type of prospect in, right? Much more qualified. Yes, I mean, for us, like, I mean, I, I can just put it down to like, we use our own technology and our own tools for our own business. So, you know, last year we grew revenue from 2.5 million AAR to 7 million AAR. So, you know, we've had that incredible growth from the fact that we use our own technology to do outreach and to build a super effective outbound sales process. So I'd point to that as proof in the pudding that if you follow, if you use this technology, then you will get exceptional growth. Yeah, I mean, exceptional indeed. It's not your typical 30, 40%. It's like 3x. Yeah. Even more than that. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. Of course, it's all about where you start. Do you see that in all ranges of type of companies? Well, I think the part of it's data and actually building a great prospecting solution. And then there's the rest of the sales process. And there's also the product you're selling. So all these have an impact. But I think the biggest thing that I think causes failure in a lot of companies is just poor sales process and bad sales process. Like I think like if you get the sales process right, then a lot of other things can be fixed with time, like product. You know, a lot of companies have had bad products, but have had great sales processes and eventually got the product right. And so, you know, I think sales is actually your first problem as CEO that you need to address and get right. And then, you know, if you got that right, then you've got time to get the other bits right. But if you get sales wrong, you, you don't really have much of a chance. That's for sure. Of course, there's a lot of arguments for that. But I mean, one of the things that I had a couple of companies on the podcast that were in the sales type of business. I heard a lot about inefficiencies of the salespeople spending a lot of time on administration. Of course, then it's about freeing them up. This is not really about freeing them up, but this is just providing them with the right information at the right time to get things going, right? The thing is, if you get the data right at the beginning and you build the right audience to outreach yeah. to, you save so much time throughout everything else and you save so much admin time. I mean, right now, if you think about typically, you know, I guess like a cheap prospecting solution, people waste a lot of people time pulling leads off of like LinkedIn, putting them through several tools to build a data set that, you know, then is not very highly responsive to outreach. So you waste, you burn time across the whole front of the whole process. Whereas if you could just get that list built correctly and efficiently, and then actually then engage that list in an effective sales cadence to get a high response rate, then it just, you know, you're saving time across every aspect and you're getting a better outcome on the actual new business that you're generating. So it's really just getting a great list building process at the very start, you know, and then a good engagement process on that list. And, you know, that's, you know, pretty much the majority of the battle. I mean, I'm always interested in how this all started. What was the aha moment? What sparked the idea to pivot or to move from the world you were living in, in the stock world market to sales, to start your company on this? Yeah, I pretty much went full-time on this in 2016. In 2016, it was a fintech idea. So the idea was to take this technology and apply it to hedge funds. So I joined an accelerated program called Winton Labs. It was run by Winton Capital. It's one of the biggest systematic hedge funds. And the product was originally developed for hedge funds to help them source new funds. And then what we just found was that that niche market wasn't a great, it was a small market. They weren't brilliant customers in the fact that you know that wasn't their core business so it wasn't you'd have to join the back of the queue for all the rest of the tech products so you know then looking at what we built 
the better application was for the broader kind of sales market and for, you know, in particular B2B sales. And so we pivoted in that direction. And then really we saw that, you know, there was two problems in the market, really. One is just building that great data set, great audience data. And then the second problem was engaging it. So if you could build an all-in-one solution, which is what we have, this all-in-one compliant solution to actually build the audience data and then engage that audience data. I mean, that just saves so much time and it really helps you know companies to generate new business faster. So that's what we ended up building. And then, you know, we just had GDPR that came out that time yeah. as well, which kind of shook up things from a regulatory point of view. So yeah, it all kind of came together at the right time. So how does it work in practice? I mean, if I look at it, you say it started with, of course, with events, with news. But I mean, if I, for example, look at, well, if you look at your ideal customer, a lot of the times that has nothing to do with news or with, with events that are happening. They just have a specific characteristic, specific worldview about things in terms of what they want to achieve, their values, well, the way they go to market and deliver their value. So how do you track that type of, all these signals from the marketplace then? Yeah, so in general, you know, every company has its ideal customer profile. You know, it's like ICP and that might be, you know, yeah, head of marketing in, you know, East Coast US, right? Let's say like very broadly of a company of a certain size and, you know, that sells a specific set of products, right? And maybe they're already using Pacific technology that you want to sell against because you have a better technology. I mean, that's kind of a typical kind of ICP, maybe even a little bit more of a slightly complex one with the technology stack added on. So you could build that. But then, you know, if you say you built that type of an audience in LinkedIn and down and then, you know, took those contacts out straight away, there'll be a whole bunch of those companies that just don't have any money and aren't spending and aren't growing. So adding in that event dimension of say, okay, they just received funding or that they're doing hiring right now, that will kind of narrow that audience to a smaller group that when you outreach and then you also include, you know, like, hey, we just saw you raise funding or hey, we see you hiring in the moment, you know, you can blend in other pieces of data that then make that message more engaging True. that gets them to want to buy and you'll get higher response rates from that. And then the other thing that our platform, because we, you know, one of the things we've moved from is from email to also providing direct dial switchboard numbers. Now, you know, putting that as a cadence where you're emailing and phoning and outreaching on social at the same time, you have that kind of multiple touch points. You'll get far higher response rates than just emailing. You know, that's the all in solution that we're providing that really helps people to get new business faster. Yeah, interesting. I get the idea behind it. So, well, I mean, my audience at the end is about, there's a lot of technology companies in there. And I mean, I told you about, I'm writing a book. It's going to be available actually in about three weeks from now. It's called The Remarkable Effect. So I'm always interested in to get your perspective of the, the perspective of the person that I'm interviewing today. What do you believe are, well, the remarkable things that you've introduced into your product that make it, stand out in the way it stands out today? I think responding to how the environment's changing in terms of regulation is important. You know, I think that is a big theme right now, right, is that we're having a lot of new data regulations and that's caused a lot of confusion about how you can outreach in different countries. Every country now, you know, Right now, just beginning this year, we had the new California data privacy legislation released. We've had GDPR in Europe, got you know new regulations appearing in new countries and, the, and yeah. the evolving. So helping clients navigate that is really important to us. And that's like embedded in the product in terms of lots of things we do in terms of data cleaning and in terms of compliance with like legislation in terms of how your email signatures have to be with opt-outs, et cetera, all of that. That's remarkable in terms of like us 
understanding where the regulation is going and getting that into sure. the product is a you know, complex and expensive piece that you know we've had to tackle in terms of working with lawyers from different countries etc there's just the technology of like us blending that people company event data together that's remarkable of like creating that unique data set and also generating our own first party data that goes into that and building processes for that i mean there's this saying about data dominance the more data at the end the more you can do with it yeah and, and that's something unique about our solution it's really that because it's we're building the data and then engaging the data. From the actual engagement of the data, we actually learn what data is good or bad. Yeah, and yeah. that then goes back into us creating first-party data and improving the quality of our data. That's quite unique about our solution because of it. it's an all-in-one prospecting solution. So that's a key component of what we're remarkable. And then on the other side, you know, we've got our head of data science, James Hudson, is also the former head of AI at Bloomberg. And we've you know got some patents in machine learning. And we, Myself, I'm very, you know, interested in machine learning. I'd done the Stanford course on Coursera. You know, I wanted to make sure, you know, that we're not calling ourselves a machine learning company and then just using somebody else's API. So we've literally built our own technology there. We've got a patent granted in the US. We've got a patent family that we're registering. And so we're really now building that next layer of services and intelligence of our product. So for instance, you know, we have a technology now that, can scan a CRM system and then tell you what personas are inside there. So help uh-huh. you work out your ICP. So that's actually using machine learning to actually build new technology. So I say that's quite remarkable about the company. And it's taken a couple of years, you know, you can't just sure. build machine learning out of the box. You know, it takes a couple of years of development work, tagging data sets to actually, you know, produce something useful. And we've got to that point and that's been kind of financed on the side of the rest of the business and now it's producing useful products and technology yeah exactly once you get your foundation going then it's like adding to it and learning from it and keep evolving it so i mean steve jobs always said that innovation is not about what you create but more about what you say no to were there any kind of key decisions on your path where you said no this is the wrong thing to do here let's not do that because at the end you know you get thrown into so many areas yeah, I suppose like our initial pivot away from hedge funds yeah. was like important, but th- that was, you know, it was great to then, I, you know, I was, we were on an accelerator program. That was the great thing about doing that type of a program is it gave you a chance to kind of explore and get to the right idea. Then after that, because we all come from financial backgrounds, James Hudson had written a paper with an academic he collaborates with on using our data and our technology for actual trading strategies directly. Yeah. We won some awards for that. And then we had a hedge fund like buy our data set for actually trading. So that was very exciting. And then we invested quite a bit in that to become a bigger business, but it was yep. just the sales cycles were so slow. It was consuming a lot of our data science resources that we then pivoted away from that and closed that down as a business. That was an important decision. So although we built some very useful things and there's some amazing kind of results from that, it just wasn't a business that could scale as fast as our kind of core, you know, prospecting yeah. solution. I can understand that that's quite a difficult one, you know, that to say at some point in time, stop, enough is enough. We have to kind of move from here. Yeah, especially as I did a lot of the sales myself and was quite personally involved in that business. And it was the subject I was super was, like, very interested in. So yeah, it was painful to kind of like then abandon and also the investment in, you know, sure. investment in technology and time. But yeah, that's your job as CEO, right? To make those decisions and to kind of focus your resources on what's working. Yeah. And especially like, that's the thing, right? Typically when you're building the business, you know, when you're pre-seed, even seed stage, you probably are experimenting, testing out lots of ideas. And then yep. the death of the company is really not then picking one and then focusing on that. 
fanatically. So, you know, that's the point where you can start to scale and get to the Series A, Series B is just to pick an idea and then really scale it. So then you've got to abandon the other babies that you've created, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about, well, you, you said you were in sales and you were seeing that, you know, that things were difficult. Now that you got your new solution and you, know, you get your traction the way you talked about before, you know, the 3x growth you have experienced in the meantime, what do you believe is the biggest challenge to creating that growth? I really think it's the sales process is the biggest challenge of creating growth and creating a really efficient revenue yeah. structure. I think, you know, I'm about to give a talk, the mental velocity about this at the end of the month. But I think the key thing is to kind of understand what system you have in place right now yeah. and then continuously keep thinking about how you upgrade that system. It's almost like, you know, like we write software and we have versions of software. Yeah. We need versions of our sales process and versions of our customer success process we have to understand exactly where that system is right now and how it's designed and then how we upgrade it to the next version rather than just accepting it as static i think that mindset is what's helping us to grow so fast is that continual kind of revision of the processes that we've built in sales customer success engineering and the continuous efforts to kind of keep on upgrading and improving and scaling those you know that's what you need to do otherwise your company will just stall yeah exactly can you give an example of a change that you made that turned out to be the right one i mean there's lots across lots of parts of the organization i say you know one simple evolution you know i think at the beginning when you start out and you're a seed stage company how do you really measure that you're growing? You have to kind of look at base metrics, like, sure. and a really nice, simple one is just the number of dials that you do per day. So like how many dials is an SDR doing a day? How many conversations are they having? How many of those are converting into, you know, opportunities? Then, an, you know, an executive is then, or if you're at that stage, an account, account executive is then closing his deals. And so that's a really simple way to start, which serves you quite well at the beginning. But then we moved to recently is actually then measuring not the number of dials, but really then the sales qualified leads that are being produced. And in that way, there's a measurement of quality of the opportunity. But of course, you can't do that right at the beginning because you don't really know what a qualified opportunity looks like, you know, especially if it's a brand new business, you know, you don't have that experience. So you can't start at that place, but you want to get to that place of the next evolution. But if you never evolve from the number of dials, then you're going to fill your pipeline full of junk most of the time. And you're going to slow your rate of growth down because you haven't got, you know, qualified opportunities in the funnel. That was kind of one important insight that our team had um, that took us to the next level in terms of sales. Interesting. But I completely agree with you. I mean, specifically when you're just starting and you have just pivoted that these things, yeah, it's just trial and error. Another like just quick example is like segmentation. Like right now, you know, we're segmenting out. We work out our bad fit, good, good fit customers and we make sure that when we build our, you know, lists of customers, we don't put the bad fit customers into the list. But uh-huh. when you begin, you don't know, really know what a bad fit customer looks like. True. Or, and so, you know, you can't do that segmentation at that point. So you have to be a bit spray and pray at the beginning. And then you can segment when you've got enough data, you know, and that's probably, you know, around about post series A, you know, that you're at that point where you've got enough customers that you can True. do that, yeah. you know, probably a couple of million in AAR. So yeah, and that's why I think like thinking about upgrading all the time, like how do I upgrade to the next level of the system that we're in? And, you know, you just have to be continuously working on that. And something that works for a series A, series B company is something that could kill a seed stage company. So it's just, you know, you have to, I think, think about that in those terms. 
Yeah, true. So what are you most proud of achieving so far? If you talk about, for example, anecdotes from your customers. I mean, personally for me, actually, the thing that I'm proud of the most is creating all the jobs that we created. <laughs> so actually, you know, providing employment opportunities for people um, yeah. that is, you know, super rewarding for me. For me, like also creating growth for customers. And when you actually see your product is out there working, customers are super happy. They're actually generating new business. You're actually helping other companies to grow. That's very rewarding. So I suppose those are the two things in that order I'm very proud of in terms of the company. I mean, overall, it wasn't like, you know, it's interesting how it evolves. I don't really have this vision of where Cognizant will be, and I never have, of where Cognizant is going to be a year or two years. We've had financial plans and we've built financial plans and kept to those financial plans. But in general, you know, the way I look at it is always just solving the next problem. And then, you know, you take a step back from time to time and you see that you've built this successful organization and then you're like wow but i think you know for me it's always like an engineering mindset of like you know fix the problem and you know fix this widget and the whole machine will work and then let's see where the machine goes to rather than you know like projecting where the machine's going to be three years five years out you know it's really just if i solve the problem in front of my face then good things are going to happen well at the end it starts with like how can you deliver most value to your customers? And if you keep that in mind and your customers, well, go from customers turning to fans, then the rest will happen by itself. That's what I see from all the companies that I've spoken to so far is a critical thing there. It's not yeah. being focused on, on the target in terms of a financial goal, but more well, like the change that you try to create with your customers and how you help them to make a difference. Yeah, I think there's a bit of both because I think it's kind of a, a synergy, right? Like you need sales to get customers, to get feedback on the product, to get sure. the product better, to get more. So if you don't actually get sales, because in general, when you build the first version of the product, it's going to generally be terrible, right? Or it's going to be your vision of what works in the market, not the customers. And you, you'll get early stage adopters that are generally going to be in your network or are going to be in the network of your investors. And so they're going to be fairly friendly initially like that feedback is useful to degree but it's not super useful so you really need to get your sales cycle going to pick up real customers so you know what messaging a entices them in and then they're completely neutral about how they're looking at your product and if it sucks they're telling you it sucks and you're fixing it quickly it's really important to build a sales capacity to get the customers in to be able to get the unbiased feedback on the product yeah true that's a very important word there, unbiased. So from all the wisdom that you've created in the last years, if you would have given advice to your peer CEOs, what would it be? What should they do to build a remarkable software company? Build a great sales structure. <laughs> I <would> say, like, <laughs> We've talked I about would, that again. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would honestly start there. You know, when I started my company, it wasn't something that I was focused on at all or think about. I mean, I feel very a lot of gratefulness and look I suppose a bit that the first software company I've built is a sales software company because it taught me a lot about sales and also you know if you can do sales you can fix a lot of other issues the office already always opened if anybody wants to connect to me and talk about how we built our sales structure you know I'm happy to give advice and you know so I would say like look at how you're doing sales is key and there's lots of other like useful lessons like I, I suppose like one big lesson for me was always to have especially as a first-time CEO, you really don't want to be arrogant. You want to be like super nice. Some great essays on, if you've seen the essays from Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator. Yeah. So he's got some amazing essays there. That, you know, one of the ones I used to read all the time is How Not to Die, which is all about just not giving up. Because I think the first couple of years in any startup are really difficult. And, you know, like you usually 
you know, not paying yourself a salary, you're usually having to use your own funds, it's difficult, it's taxing on your life. So, you know, just having that mentorship of people who've been successful ahead of you is really important. Let me make a small interruption here. James just made an excellent remark about the importance to surround yourself with people who've been successful ahead of you. As they very often say, it's lonely at the top and it's easy to get complacent in thinking that you know it all. And that's why I established the Remarkable Effect Tribe, a community of business software tech entrepreneurs who are all on a mission to create something big and meaningful. And it's the place where those like-minded people level up together and learn from each other. If that is what you need at this stage of developing your software business, I really invite you to join. You can find out more on valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. So I've always had on my board people that have had more experience than than me to kind of have that advice. So that's been really important, just having mentors and having Mm -hmm. board members that have had experience building companies and scaling them and taking their advice. So, you know, like one of the key decisions I'd nearly made in, you know, I suppose like in the second year of the company was, you know, I really was super keen to go into the American market. And our board said, you know, the time wasn't right just to focus on the home market, which we did. And I saw like another similar solution to ours, going to the raise funds and then going to the US market uh, and spend like crazy and it pretty much destroyed them. So, you know, because it, you know, just absorbed all their capital and then they didn't really get the growth and they had to then abandon that US team. Now we've gone into the US market last year. It's been really successful. You know, we did it with our own staff. We did it organically and it went really well. And now we're hitting all the targets in the US and you know, we're adding. So it's important to have that advice and it's important to seek out peers that are successful and get their advice and just learn as much as you can completely agree with that well given advice so what is next for you what is your greatest aspiration from here to do what we're doing just to keep growing the company to focus in on well, i think every company right has always got like a set of problems in front of it which is tackling and solving so we're doing that we've successfully launched the u.s market last year we have an office in new york so it's expanding that out and then you know looking for then moving beyond new york to other locations and then you know we've just won a major contract in uh, singapore with one of the big banks that also opens up another interesting front for us so making that successful and making sure that that works and the end of the there's the, you know what we've come to in a important part now where you know we segmented our bad fit good fit customers and now we're working on product ideas for there's definitely a need for our solution across every tier of customers it's just getting the product right and it's kind of and how the customer engages that product right so we're working on those issues you know like create variants of the product that are right for other parts of the market where yeah. it's not such a great fit right now yeah exactly well to get very specific on that this is your ideal customer profile very good. So where can people go to find out more about Cognizant and to say hi to you? Yeah, sure. So uh, people can connect to me on LinkedIn on Twitter. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, James is lay, I-S-I-L-A-Y. And then you can, of course, come to our website, www.cognizant.com. And then you can see, see the products. We're happy to give people a demo. And yeah, as I said, like, feel free. Anybody who's listening to this that wants advice on their company about raising funding or about building a sales team, feel free to contact me and I'm always happy to help out. Well, thank you very much. I'll share that happily with my audience here. Thank you very much, James. This was inspiring to talk to. I mean, it's always good to have the focus on sales and you definitely have a passion for that. And you happen to be in the sales business as well with your product. That's that's the ideal world, I think. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. And I'm 
looking forward to the book. I'll definitely buy a copy myself. And then, yeah, I wish you every success with the launch. Perfect. Thank you very much. And that leaves me to turn myself to all of you that are listening to this podcast right now. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you have any questions, simply connect to me on LinkedIn and share your question. If you got inspired by the call and by this interview, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. And other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast today. I had the honor to speak to James Isile, CEO of Cognizant. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.